Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Kiddos, I didn't mention, I'm so glad that you're here. I know we aren't doing Harvest Kids in uh, here at the building right now, but I'm so glad that you have joined us. And uh, parents who have little kiddos here, really, like, when they make noise, you're far more aware of it than I am. In fact, I think every parent who has had little kids in the room, their heart goes out to you, and they're not judging you. They're just aware how that feels. So we love you and so glad that you uh, have, have brought the kids and are, are joining us uh, this morning. Well, I want to share with you three words this morning that will likely evoke some kind of emotion. Uh, my goal in sharing them is not to be controversial. Uh, I am not responding to cultural pressure. I am not making a political statement. I simply want to briefly talk about these three words before we jump into the text. The three words are this, black lives matter. Black lives matter. Now, when you hear those words, you may be thinking prejudice against African-Americans. You may right away have rioting come to your mind. You may be thinking about racial injustice. When you hear those words, you may be thinking defund the police. Or when you hear those words, you might be thinking reform police systems. Or you might be thinking white privilege. Or you might be thinking revolution. Or maybe you're just like so pent up with emotion right now, you didn't hear any of the words I just said. I'm aware of that. How are we as Christians to think about these three words? On one hand, these are just three words in and of themselves. On the other hand, they represent a movement in our nation and growingly kind of around the world that that represents something. 
Well, first, at face value, these three words are absolutely true as Christians. Black lives matter because in Genesis, we learn that every person is made in the image of God. Every person has value and dignity. We know from 2 Peter 3.9 that the Lord does not desire that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We know from Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 that in heaven there will be a multitude around the throne from every tribe and language and people and nation. So black lives absolutely matter in the eyes of God and in the eyes of those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, these three words have become a slogan for a movement that says they exist to fight for freedom, liberation, and justice. And at first glance, that seems right. As Christians, though, we need to be discerning. As you've heard me say before, I want a church of Bereans. Remember, the Bereans were those in the book of Acts that when Paul preached to them, they searched through the scriptures to see what he was saying was so. I don't want a church that's just people that, that just come here, sit, soak, and go and, and do what they're told to do. No, I want you to seek God's face. I want you to be thoughtful and discerning. So I'm not going to go into all that's on the website of that particular movement, but I'd encourage you to go and look and see what they are about. Because when you look at everything that that movement stands for, you will discover it is not simply to see reformation of systems and structures, but there is a call for a revolution that supports a worldview that does not include God. A revolution that doesn't include God's design for humanity. And I don't want to spend all of our time going through those particular details, but I want you to be discerning Christians. I want you to, to look at God's word and look at those things. Because that movement doesn't, doesn't allow you to pick and choose things. They want you to be all in with everything, even though you only hear those three words referenced time and again. Now that said, even though there may still be emotion, you, you may still, as you're sitting here, haven't recovered from the fact that I just said Black Lives Matter at the beginning and you didn't hear anything I just said. I get that there is that kind of emotional charge in our, our nation right now. But what are Christians to say in response to injustice? Because we can't support a movement that advocates a life apart from God, but we can't deny the real truth that exists in these three words, black lives matter. So I think the answer is found less in what we say and more in what we do. I believe the three words that we as Christians need to focus on are found in this text. And in this text, we find these three words, love your neighbor. Now, in saying love your neighbor, don't hear me say I want to minimize the hurt and the pain and the struggle that has experienced by my African-American brothers. I don't fully understand what they've walked through 
in their lives growing up. I've never been driving down the road and had someone pull me over simply because of the color of my skin. And there's a time for grieving. Obviously, yesterday at church, if you weren't able to be a part of the Gospel Coalition's Night of Lament for Racial Injustice, I'd encourage you. It's still available online. I went online to look last night after it was over, and uh, this morning it, it's there. It may be a time to set aside for your family to, to, to watch that or to do the prayer guide because we want to weep with those who weep. So I'm not minimizing that struggle. We have much to learn. But we want to focus this morning on love your neighbor. Because I believe if we love God and love our neighbor in the manner that Jesus calls us to in this text, I believe when we do that, the onlooking world will say that we believe black lives matter. Not because we say it, but because we are actually doing it. I believe that the onlooking world will not only see that we believe that's true, but they will believe that we, we believe that poor lives matter or that unborn lives matter or that women matter or that Native American lives matter. And the list goes on. But they know that because they see it. Not because we posted it on social media, but because we endeavor to live lives consistent with Scripture. Okay. Can we take a deep breath? Let's jump into the text. Look at your Bibles. Starting verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, so to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So he's asking a question of a lawyer What do you see in the law? And the lawyer responds and says, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer's asking, what do I need to do? He's asking a horizontal question. And then then he answers the question that Jesus poses to him with the truth that he actually needs to know. And our first point this morning is love God because the first thing he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That comes from Deuteronomy 6. So he knew his Bible. Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He knew it. It wasn't that he didn't know what the law said. The lawyer's problem was that he didn't have an intimate relationship with God. I just do these things and I'm good. But 1 Timothy 2 tells us, says, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus was sitting right in front of him. The answer was sitting right in front of him. And Jesus was displaying. So he's, he's reciting the Old Testament text And there's someone sitting in front of him that actually fully embodies what he just quoted. 
Jesus loved God with all that he was. He wasn't hindered by sin. He wasn't hindered by selfishness. Jesus went to the cross so that all mankind could have the opportunity to love God. Deuteronomy 4 says this, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. There is no other besides him. Our first and greatest pursuit is to love God. That's our first and greatest pursuit. The goal in our church in disciple-making is to help believers to have a high God esteem. We want to teach them to love God. We want to teach them to abide in him. But our goal is, is to have a high God esteem, not a high self esteem. We actually want to think about ourselves less. We want to help to think about ourselves a lot less. We want to think rightly about God and more frequently about God. We want to think rightly about ourselves in light of God's holiness. And I believe the problems we are experiencing on all levels in human society aren't ultimately horizontal problems. They're not. They are rooted in a vertical problem. And that vertical problem is that we are not loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the problem. Because oppression, when you hear that word, oppression happens when man puts himself in the place of God and abuses his power for it's God-given power, but it's abused for self-interest rather than to execute justice in accordance with God's character. Prejudice happens when mankind judges other humans, other human beings, men or women, based on skin color or socioeconomic status or cultural background. But that judgment happens from a human perspective rather than from God's perspective. So I think as Christians, we need to be familiar with a Latin term that's corum deo. Corum deo means this. The phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of God or before the face of God. So to live corum deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. Everything we do in our life is done and needs to be done with the reality that God is present. Our God is present, and he's worthy of our complete devotion. Jesus was aware of his father all the time. In fact, he was constantly wanting to get into his father's presence alone because he wanted to know the father's will and he wanted to have more intimacy with the father. And that's the model that we have as we pursue God. We want to love God. Jesus didn't debate the father. Jesus' goal was, Father, what's your will? Not my will, but yours be done. So our eyes are to be focused on the Holy One. If everyone's heart was focused on God in the way that this passage calls us to, we, we wouldn't have social problems. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have racism. 
Why is the coming kingdom when Jesus is reigning? Why is it there's not going to be any sin or suffering anymore? Why is the hurt and the pain going to be gone? Why are the tears going to be washed away? Well, because everyone will be intimately aware of Christ and what he has done. I mean, there's not going to be any need for lights because his glory is going to light everything up. We won't be distracted. So the first place we begin is not a horizontal solution. The first place we begin is love God. Ask God, are there any areas of my life that do not reflect your glory? Pursue time with God. Ask God to change your heart and mind. I mean, as we spend time with God, he does change our hearts and our minds. God, God is grieved over suffering. God calls us to action, but it starts with loving God. We, we need to love God. We start there. But loving God entails loving our neighbor. So love your neighbor. That's our second point. Look, look at the text. Verse 27, and he answered, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor as yourself. To the degree in which you want to be treated, treat others that way. If you truly understood how someone else felt in the place that they are, whether it's the, the background, the town that they came from, the cultural background, if you truly understood where they were and you understood what would they pray? What would they pray? You, you be the answer to that prayer. Because if you were in their shoes, you would pray those things and you would want someone to treat you that way. So love your neighbor as yourself. Not just the people next door. Now, we absolutely do love the people next door in our neighborhood. They have the address, like right next to ours or down the street or the people that we work with. We absolutely want to love them. But let's look at what Jesus points us to as to who our neighbor is. So look at verse 28. He says, and he said to them, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And so the lawyer says, but, but he desiring to justify himself because he was more concerned about looking good in front of Jesus. Well, yeah, I just answered your first question, awesome. Now you're telling me to go do. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, if I'm, I'm doing the right thing. So he thinks he's going to catch Jesus in a trap. And so he says, desiring to justify himself, he says, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? So obviously, Jesus never gets trapped when we try to ask him questions. He replies, and, and he replies this, and he tells the man what a neighbor is. Rather, he shows the man what a neighbor looks like. Jesus replies, he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, was this man in this situation because he made an unwise choice? I mean, he obviously went to a place where robbers could go. So maybe he was there because he didn't, didn't make a wise choice. Maybe it was his fault that he was assaulted. Maybe he wasn't completely innocent. 
Maybe he was innocent, but maybe he wasn't innocent. Maybe he does something to provoke them, and, and, and he's just getting what he, he wanted to get. We, we don't know. We get the sense that he was innocent, but what we know is this. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. The lawyer never in his wildest dreams thought that God would define his neighbor as a hurting man in a rough part of town from a different ethnic group who needed his compassion. He never imagined that. And then he goes on and tells the story, and it unfolds. So this man's laying there half dead. Look at verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now since the man was half dead, he could have been perceived as being dead, and a priest uh, wouldn't want to be defiled uh, by, by being around a dead person. Because if they were around a dead person, the Old Testament law means they had to go through a large process to cleanse themselves before they could do their priestly duties. And you know, maybe he didn't, didn't want to. Maybe he thought the man was dead. He didn't want to get unclean. So he just left the man alone. He didn't want to have to worry about it. He didn't have to go through the hassle of cleansing himself. We don't know what all factored into his decision. All we know is that he left a man who was suffering and in need. And he walked on the other side of the road. Walked on the other side of the road. Then we, we meet someone else. So likewise, a Levite, he came to the place and saw him passed by on the other side. So the Levite was likely religious. The priests often came out of the tribe of Levi. So this is someone you would think, well, if it's a Levite, this guy is going to help. For sure this guy is going to help because that's what they do. And he thought it was better not to get involved. Not to get involved. Maybe the problem will just go away. So he passed by on the other side. That's what happened. But then a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, Samaritans and Jews, they were enemies. I love how Jesus tells the story because the Jews aren't the hero in the story. I mean, the lawyer who's asking him the question thinks that he's awesome. And the lawyer would have loved it if Jesus would have told the story, oh, well, a Samaritan, a Samaritan, he was on the side of the road. And the Jew, he came along and he helped him because, right, the Jews, they are the ones that are important. They were awesome. Yeah, and that would make them think greatly about himself. But Jesus flips it and he tells him this story rather than the one who's in control or has a power coming to the rescue. No, it's the Jew that is the one that's getting rescued. 
and the Samaritan helping a Jew who had been ignored by his fellow Jews practically demonstrates what it looks like to love God and to love his neighbor. What does he do as he has compassion? He identified with the needs of a stranger and had compassion, the Samaritan's love for his neighbor. So he's identif- he identifies with it. He sees that he's in need. Hey, if I'm in need, uh, I, I need, those, need that, that met. And he went to him, and look at verse 34. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So he had compassion. He identified with the needs of him, but he cared about his safety. He cared about He cared about an enemy, someone who would would have hated his people. He risked his life. So remember, this is a place in which there were robbers. So it likely wasn't a safe place, and he's not in a safe place. And he risked his life because who knows? Are they going to come by again? I hope you've not come across someone along the side of the road that was half dead, but it does require a bit of work to care for an individual who's in that place. And so it would have taken him time and others could be around. So that time that he took would have been at the cost of his safety, potentially. It certainly was at the cost of his comfort. He would have gotten, he would have gotten blood maybe on his clothes and dirty from binding up the wounds of the Jew. And then he, he stayed with him. So he doesn't just say, hey, I fixed you up. You're doing okay? Uh, go. No, he puts him on his own animal and he takes him to the inn and then he stays with him for the night while he cared for him. So it cost him his time. Let's not think that in the first century, well, they didn't have all the things that we have. Their life wasn't really that busy. Their life was far more busy than our life was. I mean, just to get water, they didn't have to go to, they didn't go to the faucet or the drinking fountain. They had to go to a well somewhere and to make their food. It was a high energy, lots of time. Their lives were packed with, with lots going on that was essential just to sustain life. Yet he took the time to care for someone he didn't know. He didn't know him. He gave up a good portion of one day and an entire night to stay with him in the inn. And then he cared for him at the cost of his own money. Now, he wasn't just giving a handout to make himself feel better. He wasn't just throwing money at the problem so that he didn't have to get involved. No, his resources He had resources. Likely, they weren't abundant. I mean, we don't know if he was a wealthy individual. It doesn't say, but resources weren't abundant. In the first century, there wasn't disposable income. People were talking, having, and in your budget, this is what you can do with your disposable income. They were just glad when they could eat. So there was no government stimulus check or tax return. There was no health care, yet he gave. He used resources of oil and wine that he likely had set aside for his own purposes. He, he paid for the room. 
He committed to pay for ongoing care. Two denarii, that is the equivalent of two days wage for a laborer. So in our, in our terms, maybe somewhere between $200 and $500. So after he had helped him, after he had taken him for the night, that's the money he leaves and says, well, if you need more, I want to I I pay for that. There's no logical reason why the Samaritan should rearrange his plans to spend his money to help an enemy in need. But compassion does not need a reason. After being confronted with this story, after being confronted with this story, Jesus says, which of these Three, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Theologian Warren Wearsby said, to the thieves, this traveling Jew was a victim to exploit. So they attacked him. To the priest and Levite, he was a nuisance to avoid, so they ignored him. But to the Samaritan, he was a neighbor to love and help, so he took care of him. What Jesus said to the lawyer, he says to us, go and keep on doing it likewise. James tells us in chapter 2, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Friends, it's easy to talk about subjects like poverty and job opportunities, and yet never personally help feed a hungry family or help someone find a job. It is easy to talk about solving the problem of racism and yet never take the time to learn about what it means to be on the hard end of prejudice. It's easy to talk about the problem of broken families and households without dads. It's easy to say that's the problem, yet never serve as a big brother or big sister to someone in a broken family. It's easy to talk about the solution being the gospel, which the gospel is always the answer, but yet never share the gospel in a context where there is trial and difficulty. Now, friends, there is definitely a place for discussion and debates, but those don't do anything unless we do something. I know, I know this is weighty. I can feel the weightiness. I've felt the weightiness of this since before this week. But as I've delved into this, so I know it, it feels weighty. That's what Jesus wanted the lawyer to feel. He wanted someone who knew God's word to feel the weight of this truth. And so we we do need to look hard at the good Samaritan and go and do likewise. We need to look hard at his example. We need to look hard at Christ. We need to answer the question for ourselves, who is our neighbor? 
yes, the people in our neighborhoods are, the people that you work with are, but, but those aren't the people that Jesus is describing here. Jesus describes a neighbor who came from a different community, who came from a different ethnic background, who came from a different cultural background. Jesus describes a neighbor who may have even come from a different socioeconomic status. Here's a reality in our, in our world, that minorities continually feel insecurity and uncertainty. They may not have physically felt what this man along the side of the road who'd been left for dead, but emotionally they absolutely have felt that. Will we go to them and help? Will you welcome inconvenience and lay down your life for those in need? It's a question we each have to answer because that's the it's not me asking the question. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Will we have compassion? I think we can, my temptation is I can overlook those in need because I fail to get close enough to feel their pain. I've, I have failed to understand. I've wanted to actually I memorized this verse in the book of James chapter one, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger, right? You know, as a parent, you want to teach your kids that. You got two ears, one mouth, stop talking, you want to listen to me, you know, but yet for me, how many times have I been quick to speak and not quick to listen? I want to be sensitive. I want to weep with those who weep. I want to try to understand the perspective of someone who has come from a completely different ethnic and socioeconomic background. And here's the reality. It takes time. We can't do it in one message. We can't even do it in a series of messages. It takes time. People from different places and different spaces need time to understand, and we want to pursue that. I don't want to say it's just going to take time and put that out there. No, it means take time that we have to work at it and press forward at it. I want to be slow to speak. Romans 14, we learned from a number of weeks ago, we don't want to argue. Is my speech measured and thoughtful when I'm interacting? This is all over the place. Is, am I giving myself 24 to 48 hours before I post something on social media? I know, I know that may be hard for some of you to hear, but here's the reality. Are you being biblical and intentional and filled with the Spirit when you're interacting over this or any matter? Remember, Coram Deo, we live before God. Are you responding in a way that's both bathed in prayer and informed by the study of Scripture? Are you trying to see the lens through someone else's eyes? I don't see it perfectly. I don't have all the answers. But I want to have compassion. I want to consider what does it mean to do something at the cost of my safety for myself or my family. I want to consider what it means to care at the cost of my comfort. I mean, the man cleaned up the blood of another man and put him on his own animal and gave up his time. He gave up the cost of his money. He wasn't just throwing money at a problem. He made sacrifices for the benefit of others. 
Now, we can, we can often study this passage and focus on the high cost of caring, but we need to remember it's far more costly not to care. The priest and the Levite, they lost an opportunity to to care for someone. They could, have been an in, they could have been a great influence in a world that certainly was marked by sin and selfishness, just like our world. But you, you have to understand, this Samaritan's one deed of mercy has inspired millions over thousands of years to sacrificial ministry all across the world. And so the one thing that you do it could have far more impact than you realize to the glory of God. Thabiti Anawile, pastor, said, God, by his sovereign design, has placed us in a region where we have people from every point on the economic and class spectrum. Now, this is, he's just writing in a commentary. Okay, when I read it, I thought he was writing to me here living in Berrien County. So he's placed us in a region where we have people from every point on the economic and class spectrum. And as James 2 instructs, we must not show favoritism, but have an equal concern for each member of the body. We must cross the class divide. The world would separate us along those lines, but Christ in his body has transcended those barriers to make us one. We do this to make the mercy and inclusion of God known to our neighbors. For those of us who have received eternal life, we must now prove ourselves to be true neighbors. We exist as a church in this community to go and do the same, individually and collectively with our neighbors. That's challenging to me. Again, I don't have all of the answers. I don't have all of the steps. I think many of the steps that we'll take will come individually as you spend time with God and as God opens the doors for you. But as God opens the doors for us as a church, we will take steps to be the Good Samaritan. But as, as, a, as we draw to a close this morning, I want to draw your attention to one observation. I, I want us to we're looking at that, I want us to sit with our Bibles open. I want you to go home with this passage and I want you to read and be affected by this truth. Sit with your journal or a notepad together and pray. Say, God, what is it that you're calling me to do? How is this example provoking me? What is it that you want me to do? How do, do we as a small group respond? What are the discussions that we need to have? What are the questions that we need to have? You can certainly ask me questions. We, we want to interact about this, but let's get before the Lord. Let's seek his face. But here's the observation I want you to to see before we go. Because oftentimes, even as a child, this was read to me before I was a Christian. And this is the question I, I, I left with answering. Am I the priest? Am I the Levite? No, I'm not going to be those guys. Am I the Samaritan? Well, maybe not quite yet, but that's the one I want to be. Friends, when you look at this story, you're the man on the side of the road. You're the man on the side of the road. 
the lawyer in the story had the greatest of all good Samaritans standing right in front of him. Jesus is the true neighbor and the Samarit, that the Samaritan symbolized. The Lord Jesus did everything that the Samaritan did and more when he suffered on the cross in our place. The Lord Jesus sees our brokenness in sin and comes to us in compassion. Jesus demonstrates God's love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the cross. Jesus brings an end to racism because he reconciles us to God and to to each other through his body on the tree. Jesus pays the cost for our salvation by shedding his blood. Jesus is coming again to receive us into eternal life and a never-ending kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ does for us everything we could not do when it comes to obeying God and paying the penalty for our sin. We were left for dead on the side of the road. But Christ rescues us, heals us, and pays for our needs by his grace. He freely gives us what we could never earn. He gives to the world the hope of eternal life based on his perfect obedience to God and sacrifice of his life. So those who repent of their sins and trust in him receive as a gift eternal life from God. What the Lord Jesus gives, we cannot earn. So our first step, friends, isn't what do we do. Our first step is to do what the lawyer missed. It's to focus on Christ. And when we focus on Christ, we will go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, this passage has so much to expose in us and to teach us. Lord, help us as a church. Help me, God. Help me to go and do likewise. I've been complacent in my life at times, and not pursued, not had compassion. Lord, in this day, though, the world is, is, is rightly seeing a wrong that's being done. Lord, we, we are the ones that really have the answer because we know Christ. We proclaim the coming kingdom when all these things will, be, will pass away. And I pray, God, that you would use us to shine the light of Christ as we pursue God Lord, would we be amazed at what Christ has done? Would we see how he was the good Samaritan when we were laying on the side of the road and we are overwhelmed by that truth, Lord? Would we turn and would we have compassion on others? Would we put ourselves in their place? Because we know that Jesus took our place. God, I pray that you'd help us. That ultimately you'd be glorified and magnified. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.